welcome back to the Better Boundaries podcast brought to you by Utahns for Responsive Government. Our goal with season two is to keep you updated and informed about Utah's ongoing fight for independent redistricting. I'm Katie Wright, Executive Director of Better Boundaries and your host. In this episode, we speak with the directors of a plaintiff organization in the Utah lawsuit against gerrymandering, Emma Petty Adams and Jennifer Thomas of Mormon Women for Ethical Government. We hope you enjoy it. In today's episode, we're speaking with Emma Petty Adams and Jennifer Thomas. They are co-executive directors of Mormon Women for Ethical Government, MWAG for short. MWAG is a plaintiff organization in Utah's gerrymandering lawsuit and has a vision of building a more peaceful, just, and ethical world by harnessing the power of women of faith. Emma and Jen, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. Um, Mormon Women for Ethical Government is suing the state legislature for violating Utahns' constitutional rights. And I want to learn about how the lawsuit furthers the mission of your organization. But I think we should start learning about MWAG's founding and purpose. So MWAG is a nonpartisan organization with both a 501c3 and 501c4 designation. What I love about your organization is that you have four key attributes that tie all your work together. Those attributes are faithful, nonpartisan, peaceful, and proactive. Can you walk me through what each of these attributes mean to the organization? And Jen, maybe we'll start with you. Okay, that sounds great. Why don't I just take the first two? I'll do faithful and and nonpartisan. Um, Faithful is actually pretty simple. Um, we have a, a unifying um, set of ideas that as women, which is a shared faith. Um, one thing we do try to make very clear to people is that our faith informs our work. It does not um, lead us to specific policy decisions that align specifically with doctrine. So what that means is I can give you a very perfect example. Um, as we put together a program leading up to the last election um, that was encouraging people to be principled voters, one of the key tenets of that was voting um, according to the golden rule. So in that way, faith was informing. We were asking women to look at their neighbors and not only vote according to their own needs, but vote according to what they think that their neighbors might also need, or particularly the weakest among them. So that's an example of the way faith informed um, the work that we were doing without um, using faith to constrain other people's actions. Um, So as far as nonpartisan goes, that one often really trips people up because what we really do hope and encourage and don't have any problem with is our memberships having party affiliation or um, you know participating in party politics. That's how the wheels work here. But as an organization, for us, nonpartisan means that we are really committed to finding solutions that um, that approach things from new angles that aren't um, strictly defined by party politics. Um, it means that we're very committed to using language that is devoid of words that would inflame or that, um, you know, are, for lack of a better word, whistles to very particular groups to engage. Um, and it means that um, we really are committed to 
civic and political solutions that um, benefit the largest number of people, not just that um, are there to support the power of one group over another. So really for us, nonpartisanship is about approaching things with like fresh eyes. Um, and it does not mean that MWEG is viewpoint neutral. It doesn't mean that we don't take positions, but it does mean that those positions are always guided by our principles, not by our allegiance to a particular party. That's so excellent. Thank you. And Emma, maybe you can take a peaceful and proactive two of the other attributes. Yeah, and I think I'll take those two together because they really do go together. I, I think um, peacemaking on its face, you know, might be misconstrued as being nice or, you know, making sure that everyone gets along or trying to avoid conflict when in actuality, the way that we define and, and utilize it is, is very much a, a proactive use of peacemaking. So I guess one example would be um, rather than avoiding conflict, um, MOIG as an organization and our members as individuals actively choose to walk into spaces where there is conflict and then seek to use skills and persuasion, you know, as opposed to coercion or manipulation to help resolve conflict. Um, and so we, we don't shy away from tension. In fact, we see tension as a very important force to kind of give us information about the state of things. Um, when there's tension, that usually means that someone's rights or that there's a lack of justice in the situation. And so we intentionally train our women and, and as leaders and as an organization choose to walk into spaces and make decisions where we are going to be, you know, likely um, <laughs> having to deal with having to deal with 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 tension and with um, with, you know, with conflict. And so I think, you know, what we're, the litigation we're talking about today is probably the perfect example of proactive peacemaking because we are being very intentional and we're choosing something to work, to focus on that is an area that is informed by our principles. And so we feel, we feel quite strongly that we need to engage in it. And I like your emphasis on using persuasion. I hear both of you talk about that a lot, and I think that's a really um, additional interesting part of what informs your work. Um, so to get back into the beginning, when was Mormon Women for Ethical Government founded? So it was founded in early 2017, and um, the, the origin story is, is one of, of true, uh, being a true grassroots organization and that a group of, of women led by our founder, Charlene Mullins Glenn, um, established a Facebook group to try to um, do exactly what it is I just talked about in the last, in the last question, to, to be a space where women from different political persuasions, different ideologies could come together and be proactive peacemakers together. And that Facebook group grew within a month, I believe, to 4,000 people, and then over time to upwards of 7,000. And then we've spent a lot of time over the past few years, especially putting in all the structures and organizational aspects in place to support two you know, full organizations. Um, so it's grown you know, far beyond those early days as, as a Facebook group, but into a mature and effective grassroots organization. And one part of the organization that's so important is that it is, in fact, a membership organization. So what is it like? What does it mean to be a member of MWAG? So for us, um, just the idea of being a member um, is pretty analogous to that transition that we made as an organization from a Facebook group to a full-blown organization in the sense that um, to be a member of MWEG is not simply to be someone who follows along um, online or just engages in 
you know, um, social media activism, but it's our expectation that our members will um, be proactively engaged in meaningful civic work. Um, that can mean very different things for different women. Um, to be a member, we ask that you basically give us your um, just a basic level of information that allows us to give you what you need to be able to contact you um, about specific advocacy efforts that are, um, you know, where you live. Um, and it means that we ask our members to abide by the principles of peacemaking that Emma talked about, and that they um, agree with our um, principles of ethical government, and are willing to kind of work towards a government system that supports those and sustains those. Um, we really ask our women to be um, engaged, but we also recognize that that can mean very different things at very different times of life. For some women, it means being an informed voter and that's what they have time to do. For other women, it means engaging around specific advocacy issues. Um, it might mean um, writing op-eds. I think one of the best things about being a member of MWEG is that there are a full range of possibilities for civic engagement that allow women to exercise political power. Um, the final thing I think I would say that we are very proud of is that by being a member, you add your voice um, to a group of many. And that actually makes a pretty significant difference to us. So we, we let women know all the time that um, being a member of MWEG is itself a, a an act of civic engagement because it allows us when we are meeting with legislators or um, policy groups um, to say we actually speak for um, thousands of women. And so the more women there are in this organization committed to the principles of ethical government and peacemaking that we espouse, um, the more heft and weight we can bring into conversations. Um, and sometimes women as individuals, as constituents are present in those conversations, and sometimes women are sort of invisible support in that room as members, but both of those roles really matter. And, and I think we've mentioned it earlier, but I think it's important to note that it is a national organization with members in um, states across the country. But in Utah, where the anti-gerrymandering lawsuit is, gerrymandering or anti-gerrymandering has been a central issue for MWAG members. Why, why gerrymandering? Um, I think it absolutely gets to the core of what we believe is critical um, for the health of a democratic system. Uh, we believe very firmly and have a lot of faith in the individual citizens of um, both states and our nation. And we really push back against any movement that is an attempt to consolidate power in the hands of the few and away from the many. Um, there's a great, um, there's great safety in um, having power distributed across a democracy. And so I think for, um, for a, an, as an organization, we see gerrymandering as a very specific threat to um, making sure that power rests with the people. Because if any legislator at any level has the ability to control selecting who votes for them, as opposed to the voters having the right to select their leaders, um, th that flips the system out of balance and it creates a hermetically sealed system in which voters can't get access. 
So for us, um, in order for our members and for all citizens of the United States to have equal access to their democracy, we believe it is critical that um, legislative districts be um, set up in a way that gives people a reasonable access to um, using the pressure of the ballot box to influence policy and the direction that their legislators take. And gerrymandering directly undermines that. It doesn't matter to us which party's doing it. We see it as problematic. And so as an organization, MWAG had to make that decision um, not only to take on anti-gerrymandering as a core issue in Utah, but to actually sue the state um, for partisan gerrymandering. Can you walk us through as an organization how you came to that decision? I would say the decision was both hard and easy, hard in that our decision-making process is one that is um, extensive and collaborative and, you know, takes, and deliberative. So it takes, it takes time and it takes, you know, lots of consultation with lots of women, but it was easy in that this is an issue we've been working on for a long time, back to 2018, um, when our Utah chapter lead uh, was, became informed about Proposition 4 and let our members know about it. So we're, we're, we're talking about years here we've been involved. Um, she helped educate our members. They gathered signatures. There was lots of work done. And then in addition, um, you know, over the past year, as the redistricting commission was, was in action, our leaders and members in, in Utah were heavily involved in that. So they were, you know, attending meetings and, um, you know, speaking out and writing opinion pieces about it. And then, um, when the legislature chose to adopt you know, different maps, chose to adopt their own maps. Again, that was another point at which our members were writing letters, um, were, were writing opinion pieces, were reaching out. And so our membership in Utah in particular was already there. They were already working on this issue. Many, many, many women had, were passionate about it. Um, and we certainly, um, as an as a organization, had the principles within our principles of ethical government that gave us kind of the underlying philosophical um, basis for engaging in this lawsuit. So then the decision to actually, you know, pull the trigger and become a plaintiff, um, I think there were lots of factors in there. One was the strength of the arguments, the strength of the team, um, certainly, you know, better boundaries involvement as well as um, the, the legal team. But ultimately, um, we were in, you know, a very much um, an agreement among our leadership team and our board that this was something that was not just the right thing for MWAG to do, but something that we had been prepared for, for many years. And, um, you know, we went into it knowing that it would be, um, it was the first time we've done something like this. So it was new in terms of the mechanisms, but in terms of the ideas, it was exactly where we stood and where we needed to be. It's wonderful. The whole, uh, all the work on principles and attributes um, led you to the decision and, and put you in a really easy place to know. It, it, it absolutely was... made it easy, right? It was, it was one of those situations where the, the things that we were already very clear about in terms of our ideals aligned perfectly with the opportunity to, to kind of live them. You know, as individuals, um, you put a lot of time, blood, sweat, tears into these efforts. And I'd just love to hear what motivates you um, day to day to be in this important democracy work. That is a good question. And um, I think day to day is a really good way to put it because there are good days and there are bad days. <laughs> 
there are days when you see um, real progress and you have the opportunity to kind of feel like there was a win. And there are also days in this work that feel like big setbacks. Um, but I think that for me, um, one of the things that has been most motivating has sincerely been the women with whom we are working. Um, I think that I, I always had a lot of, um, I, I guess, a belief that women had the um, ability to make significant change, but working in MWEG, it has gathered women of such extraordinary capacity and watching them um, use that capacity to um, engage with their democracy has been inspiring in ways that it's kind of hard to articulate because these women are fitting this work in around every other thing that matters to them. They're fitting it in around full-time employment. They're fitting it around childcare issues. They're fitting it around commitment to um, faith and, and religious you know, commitments. They're fitting it in around also doing, helping out in schools and other, you know, many, many ways that women do this work. But um, it has been pretty inspiring to see what when women are empowered and when they are given the opportunity um, to coalesce around an issue and work together, what they can achieve um, is, is, is really quite inspiring. I, I also think that, um, well, I'll let Emma take it from there. Yeah, I, you, you kind of took my, <laughs> took mine, oh, Jen. Sorry. I, I would, I would add, so principles and people maybe are, are in process. I would, three P's I'm going to talk, I'll talk about briefly is, is certainly the people. I don't think, I don't think there's anything more wonderful for me personally than watching a woman step into who she really is and use her voice for good. It is, it is most, it is such a privilege to be a part of that. It is a privilege I mean, I get to a lot of times help women get their op-eds published. And I, when, when someone publishes an op-ed that I've just helped kind of maybe a little bit shepherd and get in the right place, I feel a joy that far exceeds when I publish my own, because I just watching them do that is extraordinary and how it transforms them. Um, I really love working um, with those women as we utilize principles that we've agreed upon that we have all kind of um, bought into and we've, we feel are, are correct and good. And then, I mean, this is kind of wonky, but I love the process that comes from when these people tussle with how those principles turn into action and policy. That process of working through different opinions, that process of watching people come with different, uh, different um, ideologies and thoughts and experiences, and then watching them kind of wrestle and grapple with how those look in the real world and how I have to consider yours and you have to consider mine. And then the final end result is something so significantly greater than what it would have been if just one person had made that decision to me is, is kind of, is one of the most extraordinary experiences of MWAG and, and probably the thing that keeps me motivated and going day to day through the harder stuff. Katie, can I add one more thing that I also think relates directly to, um, you know, the issue at hand in terms of the lawsuit and um, representation? I think one of the other things that has been really wonderful to watch is helping women develop a political identity that is separate from party identity. 
And, and what I mean by that, and why I think that is actually so important um, is because for a democracy to function, a majority of the citizens actually have to have an identity that revolves around the health and well-being and the values of the nation itself, um, as opposed to having their civic identity completely wrapped up in simply a partisan identity. And, you know, we've heard it talked about ad nauseum, but there's been a fairly negative shift, whether it's with the loss of civics. I don't, you know, I really, in our schools, I don't know what it is, but there has been a significant shift towards partisanship. And as we do that, I think our civic health decreases. And so one of the really um, wonderful things about MWEG is watching women be able to separate out their values and their ideals from a pure allegiance to party. And that actually watching them transfer that to the health of their nation, the well-being of their community, um, it is an incredibly empowering thing to see. And I think that those women are um, increasingly in a position to make a significant difference um, in conversations in, in our nation because they really are approaching things from the common good, from the perspective of the common good. And even if their principles aren't perfectly aligned with the principles of their neighbor, the underlying principles of commitment to democracy and um, you know, equity, just basic principles that are enshrined in our national, or at least at one point enshrined in our national culture, um, I think that makes a significant difference um, in terms of their ability to function as citizens. And ultimately that is so important um, is that people are able to then bring that voice to the ballot box with their neighbors exactly. and vote in people who reflect their the issues of their community. Before we conclude, is there anything you would like to add to today's conversation? Um, I, I will just add that um, and reaffirm that the reason we kind of waded into this battle, for lack of a better word, um, is because we really do sincerely believe in the average Utah voter. We believe that they, given the opportunity, um, will and should be given the chance, should be given the opportunity to um, select their representation on an equal playing field. Um, we hope fervently um, that we are successful in this endeavor. Um, and I think that we can confidently say that no one should fear, um, no one with a, you know, a reasonable interest in um, democracy should fear a positive outcome in this case, because all it really does is give power to the individual voter and the people. Um, it, it, it empowers the individual voters of Utah. That's very well said, Jen. Um, Jen and Emma, thank you for your time today, your leadership of Mormon Women for Ethical Government, and for taking this fight to the courts on behalf of all Utahns. For our next episode, we'll hear directly from an individual plaintiff in the gerrymandering case. I'm Katie Wright, your host and executive director of Better Boundaries Utah. We'll hope you, we hope you'll tune in and follow our podcast for updates on Utah's gerrymandering case. Mm -hmm.